people take part in pickleball clinics for a whole wide range of reasons. Some people are there for the social interaction that comes with group training. Others are sincerely interested in improving their skills. They want to get better. Some people want exercise. Others there learn something new. And while the motivation that draws people to group pickleball training can change from one person to another, one thing is certain. Nobody is signing up for pickleball lessons so they can stand around. And today on Pickleball Problems, we are going to talk about quality standard number two, active participation. Welcome to Pickleball Problems. I'm your host, Mark Renison. This is the second in a six-part series. We're exploring something that we call here in Canada the quality standards. We use this framework here as part of Canada's Pickleball Instructor Certification course, which I'm responsible for, and it is delivered collaboratively between Pickleball Canada and Tennis Canada. So if you haven't listened to our first episode, you can go back. You don't have to, but you can go back and listen to the last episode we did about the quality standard called the Caring Instructor. But today we're going to talk about the quality standard known as active participation. Quick shout out to my mentor, former boss, friend, Wayne Elderton, one of Canada's foremost leading experts when it comes to coaching. Uh, he does this mostly in the tennis world. But uh, the idea of quality standards is something that he really um, developed together. And so this is now what we use across Canada, whether it comes to being courses that help people to become better pickleball instructors or tennis coaches. So let's get to it. Number one, what are we waiting for? I'm going to tell you a little story. A few years ago, I was in a resort town in Florida. It was a family trip. And as it happened, there was a well-known pickleball coach that was running a camp for about 30 players on courts at the resort. Now, I was on some adjacent courts with my kids. We were playing. We were fooling around. They were like three and seven at the time. And I was close enough that I could see the pickleball camp, but I couldn't quite hear everything that they were saying. Now, it was the very beginning of the day. It gets really hot in Florida. It was the very beginning of the day, and the coach and his assistants, they were standing right on the, the sort of middle of the court, right around the non-volley line. And all of the campers were standing against the fence, holding onto their paddles and listening to this coach speak. Now, I'm always curious what coaches do with their players. I love it. I think any coach worth their salt will say that, hey, the best things that they do on the court are something that they have seen someone else do before and they've borrowed. Um, so I'm always interested to see what coaches do with their players. But then I realized that they were just sort of at the welcome or the meet and greet part of their camp where it was the start of the day. So I didn't really pay much attention. Instead, I went back to playing with my kids. I figured I would check back a little bit later. So about 15 minutes goes by. I look over back at the camp, see what they're doing as part of their warm-up. And I realized that they actually weren't warming up. Everyone was in the exact same position. Well, almost the same position. There were a few people that were now sitting on the ground. The coach was still talking. And so before I got all judgy about it, I thought, you know what? This is the first day of the camp. There's probably a lot of housekeeping that they have to get through. Don't be so hard on them, Mark. Go back, play with your kids. So that's what I did. Went back, played with my kids. And we fooled around. We chased balls. and We hit some balls here and there, played some games. And then about 15 minutes goes by. My kids are thirsty. It's hot. It's Florida. And when I went back to go check out what the camp was happening, the coach was still talking. So it's now been 30 minutes and the coach was still talking. And now every single person there, except the coach and his assistants were sitting. A lot of them were sitting on the ground, like the first group were, but a whole bunch of them had went and literally, I kid you not, brought plastic chairs onto the court 
to sit there to continue to listen to this coach speak. Some of the people were even on their phones, some were talking to each other. Everybody seemed so annoyed, I guess, except the coach. So at this point, I was dying to know what the coach was talking about. What is it that like was taking so long? Must be really important. So I casually, probably not that casually, I casually walked close enough to the court so I could hear what he was saying. But it was not, as you might have guessed, words of wisdom about pickleball tactics or technique. It wasn't even a detailed explanation of the themes of the camp or the shape of each day. But instead, at least when I got there, the coach was talking about some other camp that he had worked at with a famous pro player. He was literally pumping his own tires and making all of his students, like people who were paying to be there, sit there and take it. So I'm not just here to rag on this coach. I mean, I'm bragging on this coach a little bit, but I'm not here just to rag on this coach. But I do think it's important that we as instructors respect the time of our players, especially when they're paying for our time. And this story is a bit of a cautionary tale. We all love to hear ourselves speak. Yours truly included. And we all think that we've got important things to say and experiences to share. But your players are not there to hear your stories or your biographical history of how good a player you are, or the camps you worked at, or the pros that you rub shoulders with. Your players are there to work, to play, to participate, and this includes getting to things quickly, which this coach did not do. So when we come back in just a minute, we're going to talk about three things that you can do. If you're a pickleball instructor, or if you're a player who's taking lessons, three things you should look out for. Three things to maximize active participation in your lesson. Are you a pickleball instructor or would you like to become one? This is your 15 second reminder that Pickleball Coaching International offers instructor certification 100% online. Do it when you want, where you want, at your own pace. Head over to PCIPickleball.com. Pickleball Coaching International, we make good coaches even better. Hey there, it's Mark. Pickleball Problems is brought to you by Selkirk TV. Selkirk TV gives you a front row seat to live pickleball matches, past championships, on-demand skills training, including my pretty great show called Pickleball Today, as well as behind-the-scenes insights and so much more. Available in the App Store and on Google Play, Selkirk TV is the perfect app for any pickleball fan. Download the app today for free and get started watching pickleball's very best online content. Selkirk TV. Welcome back to Pickleball Problems. I'm your host, Mark Renison. Today, we are talking about active participation. It is number two on our list of quality standards. Number one, which we talked about in a previous episode, was the caring instructor. Number two is active participation. What do we mean by active participation? Well, I define it as really just the proportion of time a player is engaged in meaningful activity. So let's say your lesson is 100 minutes long. No lessons are really 100 minutes. But let's say your, minute, your lesson is 100 minutes long, and for 80 of those minutes, you're actually doing stuff. You're actively involved. The stuff you're doing is meaningful. You're not just sweeping the courts, right? Then you'd say, like, hey, that was pretty active. 80% of the time, we were doing something meaningful. Well, what if only half the time you're doing something meaningful? Okay, that's a little bit less. So that's what I mean by active participation. You are doing something meaningful in your pickleball lesson. So we're going to talk about three keys to maximizing active participation in a lesson. Number one is say less and do more. Coaches who are good at keeping people active recognize that every single second that they spend talking to their players is a second that those players aren't physically active. They are not hitting balls. And I'm not saying that coaches shouldn't talk. I mean, they're there to teach after all. 
but it does mean that they should be really selective about what they say and how quickly they say it. Now, on this topic of saying less and doing more, one of the biggest traps that people fall into is when they're introducing a new topic. Less experienced coaches will spend several minutes talking about the new skill and why it matters. But experienced coaches are laser-focused, and they make their points quickly. Let me give you a couple of examples. Why don't we take this one? Why do you need a good backhand? So let's say you're my players, and I step up in front of you, and I say, okay, everyone... Hey, so it's really important that we have a good backhand. Why is that? Well, you know what? Your opponents might try to target it. Lots of people have crummy backhands, and so lots of opponents are going to aim for those backhands. And imagine how good it will feel if when that ball comes to your backhand side, you don't have to be worried about it. You're not going to miss. You've got a good, solid backhand. You could even surprise your opponent. Or here's another one. Hey, some of you try to run around your backhand and avoid it. Use your forehand whenever possible. And while there's times you can do that, sometimes the ball is too far over, you're not going to be able to hit it as a forehand. Or you're going to have to run so far over that even if you do hit the ball as a forehand, you're going to be out of position for the next shot. So wouldn't it feel great if when that ball came to your backhand, you didn't have to run around it necessarily. Instead, you could be on balance, you could set up well, you could hit your backhand and then be in good position for the next shot. Okay, so those are two different examples of sort of introducing this topic, why I have a good backhand. You want another one? Let's give you another one. Uh, how about why come to the net? Okay. Hey, pickleball players, it's really important after we return serve, we come to the net. And why is that? Well, you want to put pressure on your opponents. And if you're sitting way back at the baseline, you're so far away from them. Then when they hit that ball to you, it's got a long way it's got to travel. And when you hit that ball back, it's got a long way it's got to travel. And that long distance it's going to travel means they have a lot of time to set up. But guess what? If you return serve and come to the net, you're getting closer to your opponents. So when they hit that next ball, the ball's not going to travel as far before you send it back to them. They will have less time to set up, and that is a good thing. Not to mention players, if you need a bonus reason to come forward, you're more likely to get high balls. And if you can get a high ball, you can hit down. And if you can hit down, you can hit hard and still keep the ball in play. So by coming forward, you're increasing the chance you get those high juicy balls that you can smack. Plus, you're getting closer to your opponent so they have less time to set up. Two different ways to apply pressure by returning serve and coming to the net. Okay, let me give you another example. How about um, why you should be intentional with your serve? Hey, players, I noticed when we were playing that a lot of us were just serving to kind of start the point. And you know what? We have such an advantage here. We're standing still. The ball's exactly where we want it. No one's putting pressure on us. Man, to just put the ball in play feels like a missed opportunity. How about instead we think about causing trouble? So maybe we could hit our serve faster so our opponents have less time to set up. Maybe we could aim for a weakness like a backhand so their return's not quite so good. Ooh, maybe we could move our opponent around the court so they're poorly set up when they hit that return. Hey, what if we serve deeper in the court so their journey to the net is going to be longer? There's lots of things that we can do to use our serve to gain an advantage. So why don't we work on some of those things now? Okay, and I'll give you one more here uh, about drops. A lot of time players aren't clear why they should play a drop. So how about this? Hey, players, you know what? I noticed when you were playing right now, sometimes you would put up lobs and either the lobs were too hard or too high and they went out of bounds or too short and the opponent's got a ball to smack and they like those. I saw sometimes you also drove the ball, tried to hit it low and fast, but you know what? Your opponents are good net players, and they could not only get it back, but they could counterattack. So when you're in a situation that the lob won't work and the drive won't work, really you've got one option left, and that's to play a low and slow ball that we call a drop. Now, when you play your drop, you're not trying to win the point with it. After all, it's a slow-moving ball right at them. But by putting that ball low or forcing your opponents to hit up to get the ball over the net, you kind of neutralize them because they can't hit that hard and still keep the ball in play. So that's why we want to use a drop. When the drive and the lob are kind of off the table as good options, the drop really is our last best option. So you better learn how to hit it well. 
Okay, so there you go. That's an example of how experienced coaches can be quick and concise, can introduce a topic, can stir that interest. We make what we call a tactical connection. We're not just telling our players what we're going to work on, but why it matters. And effective coaches tend to be able to do that pretty well, and they can make their point in just a few seconds, and people are motivated to go and learn. What we're, going to do, what we're going to do when we come back in a second is we're going to talk about two other things you can do to increase the active participation of your players when you're teaching pickleball lessons. You, me, Turks and Caicos, December 2nd to 9th, 2023. How does that sound? Well, if you like the sound of it, I mean, I certainly do like the sound of it. If you like the sound of it too, head over to thirdshotsports.com. Check it out. I am going with the East Coast Pickleballers. The East Coast Pickleballers, what a great group based in South Carolina. We are going to Turks and Caicos. We would love to have you join us. Head over to thirdshotsports.com. Check it out. It's right at the banner, right at the top, or just check out our clinics. Come and join me, Turks and Caicos, December 2023. Welcome back to Pickleball Problems. I'm your host, Mark Renison. Today, we are talking about active participation. It is quality standard number two and why it's so important in our lessons and how we can do it well. Just finished talking about how important it is to introduce topics quickly and concisely, to say less and do more. Well, here's some other things you can do to increase the active participation of your players. First, we've got to use rotations effectively. In group coaching settings, you don't always have four people per court. I mean, it's nice when you do, but that's not always how it works. And when you don't have those really friendly numbers, it's important that you can use smart rotations so no one's sitting out for very long. It's important that you plan not just how the rotations will work, are you going to use small circles where people rotate just on their court or big circles where they rotate across all courts? Are we going to use something called an anchor rotation where one person stays put and everyone moves around them? Triangles, those work well when you have groups of three. So not only do we have to plan how the rotations will work, we also have to figure out when the rotations will happen. Are you going to switch players after a certain period of time or after a certain number of balls hit? Something else? You better be clear on how the rotations will work and when the rotations will take place. Third thing that coaches need to do to help maximize active participation is to stay focused. Sometimes time is wasted because the coach is trying to teach too many things at once. Rather than addressing a single specific topic, they hop around from idea to idea. Coaches who find themselves saying, oh, and one more thing, or oh, and another thing, are often guilty of getting off message. Now, this isn't because coaches are bad people. Usually it comes from a desire to share as much of their knowledge as possible in a short period of time. But it is important to remember that the coach's job isn't to share everything that they know. Their job is to make their players better. And keeping things tight and focused will help them to do this and to allow the players to spend less time listening and more time practicing. All right, we're getting close to the end of the show. One more thing here. It is important to tie things together at the end of a lesson, but it is even more important to do it quickly. Two or three minutes is all it takes to wrap up your lessons, to thank your players for coming, to praise their effort, review a few of the key points. And if you have more that you want to say to your players, that's fine. But send it in a friendly follow-up email where you can also promote other opportunities or services or clinics or leagues or ladders or whatever is happening. Okay, so really try to like... As you end your lesson, keep it really tight. Two or three minutes. Hey, everyone, come on in. We've just got a minute before we have to go. Hey, thanks, everyone, for coming. This was really great. Your effort was terrific. Uh, here are whatever few th key things that we talked about today. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Oh, I'm so glad you remember. Oh, there's this one other thing. Don't forget that. You know what? I'm going to send this to you in a follow-up email. We need to get off the courts. This was so much fun. I'm glad you came out, and we'll see you next time. 
right? Something like that. And then that way your players can maximize the time they spend playing and minimize the time they spend doing sort of administrative stuff, which is much less fun. Speaking of fun, that music tells us that it is the end of Pickleball Problems. I'm so sad. Love having you here listening to the show. Do you have a question that you'd like to ask me? Why not send it along? Mark at thirdshotsports.com is a good place to send it. You can also send me a voice memo. Those are my favorites where you send the voice memo asking the question, and then I can play it for our listeners and answer it. Mark at thirdshotsports.com. Thanks as always to our good friends over at Selkirk Sport. They make it possible for us to do things like this podcast. And Pickleball Coaching International. Are you a pickleball instructor or would like to become one? Head over to PCIPickleball.com today. Check it out. Pickleball Instructor Certification online. That means it's convenient. It's affordable. You can do it when you want. You don't have to wait for us to travel to your city. You don't have to travel to us, miss school or work or stay in hotels. PCIPickleball.com. Check it out. Pickleball Coaching International. We make good coaches even better. And if you like this, remember uh, quality standard number one, the caring instructor, go back and listen to that podcast if you like. And we're going to keep going. We've got numbers three, four, five, and six coming down the pike. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Pickleball Problems.